Welcome back to another episode of the Food for Thought podcast. I'm your host, Erin Hallstrom. For today's episode, we're keeping things in the family. I recently sat down and talked with Food Processing's newest addition, Andy Hanasek. Andy joined the team earlier this year after senior editor Pandan Mitrakakis's departure in December. Andy's fairly well known in the food and beverage industry, and we kick off the episode talking about that and so much more. We cover a lot of ground, including how Andy's been helping to inform an industry that combats misconceptions and misinformation on a daily basis. Having covered the food and beverage industry for nearly 20 years, Andy talks about what he's seen manufacturers do really well in the last two decades and a few areas for improvement for the industry as a whole. And we cap things off talking about a few of the issues this veteran industry reporter is keeping a close eye on in 2023. Enjoy the episode. Andy, welcome not only to the Food for Thought podcast, but welcome to the food processing team. We are so excited to have you on the team and on the podcast. And I want to jump right in. There's a lot to talk to you about. You've covered the food and beverage industry for a while now. Where might listeners know you from? And can you kind of tell us kind of what your background has been in the food industry? Sure, Aaron, and and thanks. I am uh, extremely excited to be joining food processing here. We're a little bit into uh, my start time already, and it's been great so far. Um, I, I don't want to sound like Troy McClure from The Simpsons, but uh, you may know me from such publications as uh, The National Provisioner. Uh, it's a meat and poultry processing B2B publication. I was the editor-in-chief of that publication for about 15 to 17 years, full-time, part-time. Um, I've also done some side work uh, with um, a food safety consulting company for the last several years and did a little bit of internal communications work for Tyson Foods for a short time. And uh, But going way back prior to my time with the National Provisioner, going back almost 20 years at this point, I was uh, the managing editor for Snack Food and Wholesale Bakery Magazine. So my life has not been all meat and poultry. I have been in the snack food and uh, bakery journalism business, if you will, as well. So I'm excited to kind of spread my wings here and learn about a lot of the other food segments, food categories, and the processing that goes on there. The beauty of food, of course, as we all know, is there is a lot of crossover in terms of strategies, concepts, and whatnot. So I'm really excited to bring the knowledge and the expertise from all the years that I spent at the Provisioner to to this magazine. And the best thing about this role as it is, is one of the my one of my most favorite things to do at the Provisioner was visit the plants and see them in person, tour them, write feature stories about them. I've probably been in, you know, a hundred to two hundred different meat and poultry plants over my time at the provisioners. So I'm looking forward to 
heading out to some of these other food plants and, and learning about the processes there as well. So thanks for having me on the podcast and on the publication. And uh, I'm really excited and looking forward to it. Well, you definitely sound like you've had quite a delicious job thus far. Now that you are on the food processing team, what is going to be your focus or your beat? I know you were talking about the plants that you're going to be visiting, but for the listeners, um, what are can you get into specifics about what you're going to be covering or trying to cover? Well, I will be taking over the plant operations editor role, I guess, if if you call it that. Uh, technically, my title is senior editor. I know we live in a world where titles don't always mean a lot to some businesses and some companies, but um, I'll, be, I'll be focused on the plant operation side. So even if I'm not out visiting plants per se, I will be writing about all the different things that affect, you know, any kind of processing plant operation, whether it be um, actual equipment and lines and food safety, even some, you know, product development and ingredients. Obviously, there's a lot of machinery concepts and considerations that need to go into product development and whatnot. And just anything along those lines, anything that affects a plant or a facility, I'll be writing about and learning about as we go along, you know, as things develop. So plant operations will be my focus. Um, and, and, as I mentioned, I'm excited about that. There's, you know, there's nothing better than getting out there and and seeing how the sausage is made. To share uh, a pun from that I that I've heard probably a million times from a variety of family and friends, and and really the the best thing about it is, despite the average consumer's belief, con conception misconceptions about how the sausage is made per se. It's all made pretty well, and it's pretty awesome to see how not just sausage, but potato chips and beverages and baked goods and whatever else you might throw out there, candy. It's awesome to see how it's made, and not just the uh, the people that direct it, but the people that work in the plants as well. I will say I have to agree with you there. I mean, I've been with food processing for over a decade, I mean, going on 15 years now, and the behind the scenes, you know, the the how the sausage is made, I, I've heard that joke too, going to like a, a process expo, I like to tell people like, yeah, it's legitimately the show of how food is made, how the sausage is made. But the thing that I, I've enjoyed most about this job is you really do get to see how the thing that we consume, you know, food, everybody, everybody has to eat and it touches everybody's lives that you get to see the work and not just the work, but the people that go into, you know, the stuff that we all consume, we all need. I don't know. It's a fascinating, fascinating content and just fascinating role to get to cover the people and the companies that make the food we all eat. So I, I agree. And I just add, I, I, the other day I saw, uh, I guess it was a documentary or whatever it was on PBS on the union stockyards here in Chicago. And um, one of the things that kind of hit them, hit the mark with regard to what you just said for me was 
you know, something that we all know, this is not news to anybody who's listening in the podcast, but how many people today and and how many people, uh, you know, even decades ago think that all food comes from a supermarket. They don't realize that, you know, meat and poultry come from an animal and someone's got to process that. Well, you know, potato chips, they're not they come from a potato. Somebody's got to farm that. Somebody's got to, you know, harvest it and, just, you know, process it and make it into potato chips. It's not it's not like it was 100, 200 years ago where everybody is actually attached to their food and knows exactly what what went into it and how how it was made and, and all of that, too. And it was it, it was just very interesting and goes along with what what you've said. And um, I think one of my one of my i don't know if you'd call it goals but one of my maybe ivory towers high horses that i sat on i don't know what you want to call it exactly when i was with the national provisioner was getting the meat industry and the poultry industry to understand that listen i'm a b2b publication i i don't have consumers necessarily reading what i publish although on the web they can because you know if they wander around and they search for just let's just say hillshire farm sausage they might find my story and they might see what actually goes into the process and there's nothing wrong with that i think the food industry over over a long time had gotten away from telling their story and educating consumers because of just concerns about things getting taken out of context. And for a very long time, you know, it, it was behind closed doors. And I love these shows on some of the cable networks that, you know, actually take you into, uh, you know, how it's made. I think it's called How It's Made on the History Channel, and it's a few years old. But, you know, it goes into a whole bunch of different food plants and actually shows it and, you know, doesn't say anything about the misconceptions or misguided ideas that go into some of these things, but it's just, I think it's fascinating. And I think many consumers, there's a lot of consumers who don't really care. They're just going to eat it and enjoy it. Um, but there are a lot that are, that share the same fascination for how these things end up in their refrigerators and on their plates and in their pantries. And I think the food industry has, has to take advantage of that and tell its story no matter you know no matter what it used to do so anyway that's a that's a long tangent off of what you just said but that was uh that was something that i really enjoyed telling those stories at the provisioner and i look forward to kind of continuing to do that now we had a guest a couple of years ago on the podcast that kind of spoke to that point that manufacturing and specifically food manufacturing almost needs like better marketing just as a whole. Not only from the perspective of people think that, you know, oh, food companies and, you know, they're so atrocious, you know, from that perspective, so many food companies getting heat for um, things, what they put in their food, how the food is made, what have you. But also from a hiring perspective, like, I, I think the how the consumer, how consumers see food companies um, also lends itself to then trying to bring new people, new um, jobs, careers into the industry. It's like, yeah, if you have a whole generation or generations of people that don't think much of 
food companies, they're not going to want to enter careers that you could be really great at a technical thing or IT or whatever. And lo and behold, you could have a job, you know, working cybersecurity at a food company. But because food manufacturing companies don't tend to market themselves or haven't always like, hey, yeah, this is what we do. We legit put bread, we put food on the table that they're going to have a harder time getting people to understand what it is that they do for consumers and and whatnot. You talked about like the stockyards and kind of the history of things. And I want to get back to kind of history and lessons. You've covered the food and beverage industry for the last couple of decades. And I'm curious what issues still surprise you that the industry hasn't figured out or worked out yet. Yeah, I I would go to I, I would you know build off of what we just talked about a little bit. You know, the marketing, the disinformation. You know, anytime something bad happens, the first people on site, and when I say bad, I mean bad press. The first people on site are are, are the you know people who basically come in and shut the doors and no comment a lot of times you know whether it be a food safety issue or a recall of some sort in in that respect or let's say there's an employee issue an immigration a raid or some sort of issue along those lines um let's say it's just you know i i hearken back to i i worked at the provisioner um during the pink slime crisis the you know lean finely textured beef crisis and how unprepared the industry was in general for that type of viral video to get out there and just basically explode in popularity you know those types of things i've been surprised at the food industry's general inability to be 100% ready to to respond or in in some ways defend against a lot of that misinformation i still see things that come up on my social media my personal social media channels that are years old and you know it's it's ridiculous in many ways um you know obviously the goal of eliminating all misinformation or disinformation depending on how which direction you're going um is going to be really difficult to do but i feel like you know some companies have done an excellent job at marketing themselves about the the good things they're doing and and letting consumers know and yes um i've always spoken about that kind of silent majority of meat and poultry eaters and there's a silent majority of food consumers that kind of that's a subset of that are just they're going to go to the store they're going to go to the restaurant they're going to order what they like they're going to eat it and they're not going to get caught up in a lot of the crazes and fads that tend to you know come and go over time and some of them are based on you know wacky science sometimes some of them are based on good science that just you know the products that come out of them out of that good science aren't 
attractive to eat. They don't taste good or they don't perform the same way. And it's just been very interesting to see the industry still kind of fighting that same battle in a very similar way to the way they've done for the last 15 to 20 years. And it's not to say that they aren't fighting the good fight, but I feel like in this day and age of over-communication, um, the idea that you can just buckle down, put your nose to the grindstone and pump out food that's awesome and wonderful and whatever, and it'll all take care of itself. That kind of mentality, just it, it's it's amazing to see that it still exists in some places. You've got to connect with your with consumers in general. And yes, you're not going to win over the extremists on the other side of the coin of what you're battling, whether it be health or in the instance of meat and poultry, animal welfare or environment or whatever it is. There's extremists you're not going to win over. Um, but there are folks in the middle that read some of that stuff and are easily turned one way or another, depending on the week or the month or the year. And with more firepower launched towards those folks in terms of, you know, good information and sharing sharing innovation and good news and getting them to understand what it is you truly do you can turn the turn the tide and get those folks on your side and 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 be in a better spot so um i guess that in in a nutshell the fact that you know things haven't changed too much in 15 20 years with regard to how 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 and how much the industry goes after the disinformation, the miscategorizations of the industry in terms of, you know, general consumer knowledge and consumer ideas of what is in food, how food is made. What are things that changes that you've seen in the last 15, 20 years that um, the food industry has made that has surprised you. So like pleasantly surprised you. Oh, that's that. That's the easy one. Automation hands down has been amazing to watch evolve uh, when it comes to food processing. Now, again, I've been in the meat and poultry industry for the last 15 years or so. And that has obviously lagged when it comes to automation compared to some other food categories and segments. So it has been a really amazing time to cover the meat and poultry industry and to be visiting plants. I mean, I know in the last five, six years, I've gone into poultry plants and I've actually toured the plant and seeing that automation was coming to 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 deboning of poultry and evisceration of poultry um, and just cut up in general, um, I used to stop the tour guide and say, let me watch the manual deboning cone lines. Let me watch these folks work because they were like machines and it was amazing to watch them just cut apart what looks like a whole bird from the store, you know, and just cut and it keeps going right on by you. It was a disassembly line. Now, so much of that is automated and it's and it's amazing to have watched that transition. When I first joined the provisioner, um, I had come out of the snack and snack food and wholesale bakery magazine world. And it was an eye opener to go from snack and bakery into meat and poultry, where with snack and bakery, 
the entire pack off and packaging lines and cartoning and all of that was pretty much automated and and barely anybody in there in in those rooms went to meat and poultry and at that time you know 15 to 20 years ago everything was so differently sized and the vision systems and the coding and the scanning and all of that and when i mean coding i mean barcoding not like coating um you know those those technologies had not yet cut caught up to the differently sized products and the different mix of products that the plants were producing so those were manual pack off and packaging lines in many instances and it was just really amazing to see that it was a kind of an eye opener and then to basically over the last 15 years watch as the pack off and packaging industry or packaging equipment caught up to what was needed for meat and poultry was awesome you know i used to go to i used to tell people one of the one of my you know both process and pack expo were my two of my favorite shows and i used to tell people all the time it's amazing to watch these machines and these robots and and all of that processing like play-doh at a trade show and it's like this is an amazing technology when am i going to see it in a plant and it was always a couple years because the meat and poultry plant industry was typically very conservative when it comes to those kinds of investments at that time but it was always a couple years and then i would see it in a plant and it was pretty amazing but i used to tell people boy you know if process expo pack expo back in the day worldwide food expo uh the poultry show you know ippe and in atlanta if people consumers or even just general non-food industry engineers could come to one of those shows and see what these machines were doing they would be they would be in heaven it'd be like a kid in a candy store and i i used to enjoy watching those machines do their demos at the trade shows and and then eventually seeing them in in the plants so automation has been a pleasant surprise and an awesome thing to watch and an amazing thing to watch from the meat and poultry side especially and now i'm glad to be back in involved because it's coming to beef and and it's not far from uh moving into the beef plants here with uh with gusto pretty soon because the technology is now finally catching up to the sheer size and the difference in size of the animals well you wrote about this sort of thing for our march cover story kind of automation in the food industry right um, yeah the food plan of the future yeah yeah um I'll, we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes for the podcast uh it's a great piece read through it numerous times what's three or four issues in the food and beverage industry that have you most concerned this year yeah i would say um the first one that has me most concerned is really a no duh obviously uh one which is labor um you know this has been an issue for as long as i can remember in almost all of these industries especially meat and poultry um, even before the pandemic labor was difficult to get and that goes back to what you said and what we kind of talked about each of us uh, you know marketing what the what the what what employment in the industry can bring to the table and companies taking good care of their of their people um for a long time 
many, many years ago, for several years, actually, many, many years ago, we used to give out HR awards to some of the um, meat and poultry companies. We we had a program for a while that did that. And it was an, at a time, honestly, the reason we did it and part of why it then kind of fell by the wayside was it was about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it was when the meat and poultry plants were really ramping up their HR offerings and different innovative ideas. So labor has always been an issue. The pandemic obviously made it worse. And now we're coming out of the pandemic here. And I even wrote about that in one of my stories. I did a meat and poultry story as to, you know, what is going to stick around uh, post pandemic because, you know, the meat and poultry industry got just hammered by COVID, as we all know, you know, what's going to stick around and what's going to kind of go back to the way it was. So the labor issue hasn't gone away. The big difference is that many of these plants have begun to finally see the investing in automation to eliminate jobs that are unfilled. So they're not firing people. They're just empty positions. And moving some of those other employees into better quality positions in the plant that's that's something that is long overdue and those those companies that have already moved down that road are in a better place so labor would be the no duh the obvious one uh going into 2023 and i'm sure that's going to last for a very very long time uh another one 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 that i was thinking about uh, actually the other day um, as I was reading some of the analysis and news and things like that, you know, the economic uncertainty, you know, for a long time, I feel like everything I was reading from the national news and world news and things like that, and all the economists who know what's going on, and things like that, was up oh, recession is imminent. Now I'm seeing, you know, it, you read some of the you read some of the annual reports from some of the companies, food companies out there, and you can tell from the investments they made in 22 and early 23 that they were preparing for a recession because the the spending you know was off a little bit over previous years and of course some of that also comes off of the the gigantic uh demand post pandemic for some of the uh food products out there but um i feel like i've recently read conflicting reports about where inflation is going to go and how that's going to affect the economy and and things like that and so you know as a business owner um as a company out there you don't really want to have to go through bad times but it's almost better to know that it's going to be bad times or good times versus we're not sure so i see a lot of mixed result or mixed reports mixed mixed predictions, if you will, and uh, out there that I'm reading. And I think that concerns me a little bit because who knows which way it's going to go. And we've seen layoffs and, you know, product cuts and things like that and, and in different areas. And that that creates a lot of uncertainty. And of course, that, you know, hamstrings the industry. And then obviously the last one, which I probably don't have to go into too much detail, food safety is always, always uh, a concern. Um, the industry has gotten better over the decades with food safety, but finding uh, new, better, faster, more efficient ways to ensure that the food supply, which by the way is safer probably than it's ever been in the U.S., but continuing to raise the bar on that 
and making sure that giant problems don't crop up and, and people don't get sick and die. Or we had the uh, we had the infant formula issue where supply was cut off because of food safety and, and things like that. So, you know, disruption is, is not a good thing. So, um, you know, food safety is always, always a concern. Um, the industry's done a bang up job overall. There's always seems there always seems to be some bad apples here and there, but generally speaking, the industry's done great. But continuing to raise the bar will always be something I'm watching, concerned about, and I know it's definitely something that keeps the food processors up at night all the time. And and you know how do they get better? How do they ensure that their product is safe, wholesome, and you know something people love to consume? Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining me on today's episode of the Food for Thought podcast. Thanks, Aaron. And again, so happy to be here. So happy to be back covering the industry. Um, and looking forward to meeting everybody out there that's just, you know, ready to ready to work with me, ready to let me tell their story. listening to the Food for Thought podcast today, thank you for tuning in. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about everywhere you can listen to a podcast. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk more about the stories behind the headlines of the food and beverage industry. Take care. Have a great day.